Welcome to the Progressive Property Podcast, helping you invest in property for freedom, choice, and profit. You'll learn new, innovative, and multiple streams of property income, whether you want to start, scale, or systemize, and even if you don't have deposits. Hi, I'm Peter Jones, Chartered Surveyor, Author and Property Investor, and this is the Progressive Property Podcast. And I'm delighted to be joined today by a man who I first met properly in Cayman. There we are, drop that in. Andy Hubbard. Hi, Andy. Hi, Peter. Thanks for having me today. It's a pleasure to see you, Andy. And you've got an amazing story, so I thought it'd be great to get you onto the podcast because I'm sure you're going to inspire and encourage many, many people. So let's go right to the beginning then, Andy. What is your background? Okay, so I'm born and bred in Peterborough, so I sort of know Progressive quite well. Um, I left school and went to become a bricklayer, an apprenticeship, and I did that at my local council. Uh, the irony there is that I never laid any bricks with the council because there was a maintenance contractor. So the only bricks I really got to lay was in college. Uh, and I, I really used to enjoy the trade. So when I did get, did get to lay bricks, um, I certainly made the most of the time in my college. Um, and I pretty much got 100% out of my qualifications. So I became the third best bricklayer in the country um, for attending competitions. Well, I didn't um, even know there were competitions. Yeah, yeah, you can actually yeah. go into the World Championships. So um, I just missed out on that. But I suppose out of all the 30 people I learned with, I was probably the only one not laying bricks. Everyone else was out on site building houses. Um, and I think they picked up the bad habits because they were working with people on price work. You know, builders just want to get the houses built quick, whereas I was just doing my stuff in college. And it was, I was just being taught the way of precision and, and getting it right from day one. So, But yeah, I really enjoyed that. And then... Um, because I was doing my apprenticeship at the council, I, ju I just sort of looked at the people that worked there. Um, they would sort of do a 50 year stint from an apprenticeship uh, and they would either leave and just retire and then still work because they didn't really know what else to do apart from work or they would literally just keel over and die. And I just thought, well, that's not really for me. I don't really mm. want to you know, do that for 50 years and then start doing the things I want to be doing. It's not an inspiring future, is it? No, it's not. And um, you know, I suppose that was that was the era of job for life. You know, I'm going back mm. sort of 25 odd years ago where you could still get a job for life. We've obviously changed now in the way we live. Um, and I just thought, you know, I want to go and do things like a ski season and um, I'm just not going to be able to do that with employment. So I was quite clear that, you know, I left there at 19 years old and said I'd never work for anyone again. And, and that's just pretty much how it's stayed. So you went off and you were your own boss? Yeah, still I was in the boss. building trade. Yeah, yeah, still I remember, on the tools. Yeah, I remember my dad um, giving me a right earache because, you know, I'd left my job. I'd walked away from it, and my dad was going, "Oh, it's a job for life. What have you done? You know, I can't believe you've you've left that. Such a good opportunity." And I just, I suppose, because my dad was employed and he didn't know any different, um, it was a bit hard to sort of get him to understand what I, you know, it just wasn't for me. I just didn't fit in with employment, being told what to do. Um, and I suppose that's maybe what all entrepreneurs have. They, they like to be the ones coming up with the ideas and being in control and making decisions. So, yeah, so I pretty much left there. And then I thought, well, I'll go on holiday. Um, never been abroad with my parents. So I went abroad and liked it that much. I sort of pretty much spent 13 years traveling around the world. Well, if you can, why not? Yeah, and I, I'd keep coming back and I'd lay a few bricks. Um, when I came back, I'd probably work for a few weeks or even a couple of months. But, you know, and I'd work seven days a week. Um, and I'd graft and graft and graft. But you know, eventually I started getting bored with building the houses. It was a bit of a repetitive uh, repetitive thing. But yeah, it was just really to fuel my travelling. Mm. But a great skill to have. And obviously at that stage, you didn't know where it was going to lead to you, which no. we're going to explore a bit later, which I think is incredibly exciting. Yeah, yeah. I but mean, the skill thing is, um, 
it was one of those things where I would always have the skill. So even if I had a, a two year break, I knew I could come back, pick up the trail, walk on site, start laying bricks and get paid instantly. Or I could actually use that skill and work abroad if I wanted to. Mm. If I wanted to go in Australia, when one of my friends went to Australia, I think when I was doing my apprenticeship, a lot of people went to Germany, earned some good money. Um, so there, there was always this, I didn't have to be in Peterborough laying bricks forever as well if I didn't want to be. Mm. But at some stage, you obviously came back and started working for yourself full time over here, I'm guessing. Yeah. Because didn't you earn yeah, 100 hours a week? Yeah, I mean, so I came off site work um, when I got, you know, when I got with my wife, Sam, and the kids, and we got married, and I had a mortgage, um, I'd start taking on a bit more responsibility, and I just thought, well, this is just not really what I want to be doing to, to pay my bills. So I went to work for myself, and yeah, I just, I, I sort of niched back then into garage conversions. Um, I thought it was the quickest way to earn money um, for the shortest time of period I spent uh, working. And, it, and it, it was, it was good, you know, it, we could convert a garage in sort of three and a half days. But it was pretty much me doing everything. I was, uh, I was out looking at the jobs, I was doing quotes, I was fetching the materials. And I suppose because of my background working at the council, it wasn't just bricklaying that I could just do. I could do the plumbing, the roofing, the plastering, the tiling. I picked up every trade, so I suppose I was my own worst enemy by just thinking, well, why do I want to pay a plumber 300 quid to come and put a bit of pipe work in for an hour when I can do it myself? So. I just did every single trade, so I was converting the whole garages on my own, and then I was doing extensions on my own. Um, I was doing some pretty big jobs on my own. Even my, my wife come in to work with me, my, my dad would sometimes come in, and the kids would come in. It'd just be a family affair, you know, but it wasn't the way to run a business. You, you think you've got a business, but you've not really. You just, yeah, and I was 100 hours a week just doing paperwork, and mm. um, not really much of a life, to be honest. No, and falling asleep on the way home, which doesn't yes. sound too good when you... Yeah, I mean... You, you get to the point where you enjoy work and it's great. And, you know, I had this drive to, to give my family a good life. Um, like anybody, you want nice things, things cost money. But it was just starting to take its toll. Yeah, I was starting to fall asleep on the way home from work. and While you're driving? Yeah, and I never used well, to tell... That's not too good, is it? It's not good. No, and I, ne I never used to tell Sam because, um, well, once she was asleep when I get in from work anyway, but I just didn't want to, to sort of worry, really. So, Did you have any near misses? Yeah, quite a few. And then I think just one day I had, you know, really close miss and I just thought, I've just got to, you know, I can't keep doing this. Mm. Um, and then what I started to do, I started to get more trades in to help me. Mm. Um, and then I realised I could actually get a carpenter in for £150 a day or a bricklayer in. And um, that really started to help me because I could be in two places or I knew the work was getting done if I was off site going and looking at other jobs or doing paperwork. Mm. So that was my first sort of um, introduction to actually leveraging other people. Mm. without realising that's what leverage, leverage meant. Yeah. I mean, this is one of the big dilemmas, isn't it, for somebody with an entrepreneurial mindset, because we want to be able to do more and build our business, but because of the work ethic that's drilled into us, many of us are very reluctant to actually let go of it and get other people into help. I think the other classic, thing there is, I mean, in the building game, definitely, is, well, hold on, he's the qualified plumber and I'm not, and yet I can fit the pipe work straight into him and... Mm solder better than him and I can fit the boiler better than him and he should be doing the job the same as me. Mm. And I, I think that's the hard part of handing stuff over, knowing that there's a good chance it's going to come back not to your standard. Mm. Um, I suppose coming to progressive, that was one of the things where I had to, you know, Rob said, look, as long as people are doing 80% of your standard, that should be good enough for everyone else. And well, I think when I looked at that, I thought, yeah, actually, he's probably right because everywhere you look in the building game, there is stuff not acceptable to how I would want it, but that is just the norm. But it's still good enough. It's good enough, yeah. 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 
Before we move on, actually the whole idea of converting the garage is a really interesting strategy in its own right, isn't it? What it were is. you converting the garages to? Uh, the majority of garages would have been bedrooms, offices, because a lot of people are working from a home now and we don't really have the paper storage. So, um, And I guess for a, for a company, it's low overheads to be able to pay someone to work from home. They can pay them a better salary. Um, so yeah, offices, bedrooms. We do quite a few into full annexes. Mm. So the double garages, we, we put a fully self-contained kitchen, bathroom. Um, it's amazing what you can get in sort of 15 square metres or 25 square metres on a double garage mm. when they're all kitted out and carpeted and um, yeah we've always tried to make them look like part of the house so we're matching the windows and the brickwork uh, but yeah three and a half days to convert a garage mm. is so quick as well. So there you are for anybody who's listening to this who's thinking I want to get into property but I don't know what to do particularly if you're in London and the South Definitely. East have a look at the garage and convert it. Yeah I mean when we do our HMOs we only buy houses with garages that we can convert because that bedroom probably costs us about three and a half, four grand to do. Mm. But if it's bringing in £100 a week, within nine to ten months it's paid for itself and then it's an infinite return on money plus it adds value to the house. So yeah. garage conversions are definitely the best, the quickest way to add money for the lowest cost. Yeah. There we are. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant strategy. So at some point you obviously became aware of Progressive. You've mentioned that Rob and he, he's encouraged you to leverage, as he would. So you came across Progressive, what, about ten or so years ago? Yeah, I mean, when um, I've been with my wife now 14 years. She's sitting there looking at me to, to make sure I get the date correct. So, yeah, 14 years I've been together. And like I said, I, I knew that Keat Lane Bricks on site wasn't going to be for me to pay my bills, etc. So um, we started looking into property a little bit. I think because I'd been away for so long. And when I came back after 13 years, I saw that my friends were, you know, buying houses and their houses had gone up so much in value. They were sitting there with two new cars and they were sort of doing it wrong. They were remortgaging their house, taking the equity out to buy cars and holidays. Mm. Mm. But I could see that, you know, things were happening at a really fast rate of, of me going away nine months at a time and 12 months at a time. So I just thought, well, actually, you know, we just bought our first house. Um, I thought, yeah, properties may be the thing to get into. Um, so I went to London. It was a free event, just a one day event. Uh, and I think back then they was only offering maybe a portfolio builder service. Mm. Uh, and I think we'd started looking into No Money Down, so that was Mortgage Express, um, which was pretty much just about to come to an end because it was a re recession time. And I just thought, well, I'm not going to be sold into this uh, sales stuff with Progressive. Mm. Um, so we walked away. And um, yeah, it was looking back now, it was probably the wrong thing to do. But well, if the time's not right, the time's not right, is it? But there it, was, it was now, looking back, but right. yeah, at the time, you don't know. No, that's right. Mm. So what did you do after that then? What, what did you do for the next 10 years? To the so I concentrated on doing the garages, mm. um, and that's, that's pretty much when I got just stuck into doing 100 hours a week. Um, we'd, we'd done three houses up ourselves, so big refurbishments, big extensions. Uh, it's very time-consuming moving. It was definitely two steps forward, one step back. I mean, to cut a long story short, we basically bought our first house, with a 200 grand mortgage uh, the day before the recession hit. Mm. This is when you could self-certify mortgage. Mm. So all of a sudden it was like, well, I'm not gonna be able to go in there and tick that box to say, I can afford to pay my mortgage. I've now got to go on proof of income, which I couldn't do back then. Um, so that's when we said, well, okay, look, we'll, we'll do the first house up. Then we, we sold it, reduced our mortgage down to half. Then we did another one. Um, I wanted to come to Progressive then, but Sam said to me, no, let's, let's just do one more house. Let's get rid of the mortgage. Let's just take away all the stress. Mm. Uh, let's, let's be mortgage-free. So that took another two and a half years. So it was about, yeah, about nine years, eight and a half, nine years before we came back to Progressive. Right, but that wasn't necessarily a bad thing to do, was it? It I wasn't mean, a bad thing, no. At I mean, least it was giving you peace of mind, although I'm, I'm not sure that now you would necessarily want to be mortgage-free, but 
That's well, the irony is we went to Cayman and the first thing Rob said to me was you need to mortgage your house and get your money out. Exactly, <laughs> yes. Which yes. I understood, you know, it was like, well, yeah, obviously. Um, I can tell you a story about that later. But um, yeah, so it, it was good to come back to Progressive because it was the right time. You know, it, it was definitely something where I just thought, well, do you know what? I can now give it 100%. And I think if, if I'd have gone nine, ten years ago, because I was so busy with my work and busy doing the house up, um, it just wouldn't have been the right time for me to commit. I guess I thought, well, I can't pay all that money over and I'm not, you know, I'm just going to be part-time. For mm. me, if I'm going to do something, I want to give it 100%. Mm. Totally, and, and we will see yeah. that as we sort of go through what you're doing now. So 2015, you went to a multiple streams of property income event? Yeah. One of the three-day um, Yeah, events. I mean, we, we nearly went, never went, actually. Um, I think what I did, I bought Mark's book, um, Low Cost, High Life, and there was two tickets in there to multiple streams. Uh, I said to my wife, Sam, let should we go? Because it's free. And she was like, well, no, not really. And I was like, well, okay, I'm going to go anyway. Um, and so we, so we went. Sam did come in with me in the end. So the Friday... For anybody who's listening, by the way, Sam is laughing. Sam is this, here, yeah, We're yeah, not about to have a, a fight, I hope. Yeah, she's waving hand signals yeah, at me. Yeah. So, But the Friday of the multiple streams was the first day I took off work, probably for, apart from a holiday, probably 10 years. Because hmm. I... I you know, Monday to Friday for me was work, so I'd never ever took a day off work unless it was for a holiday. Hmm. Um, yeah, so... Well, it must have had an impact on you because, A, you're here, but since then you've been to so many multiple streams. 25. Events. 25. Yeah. So what, why do you keep revisiting multiple streams? Okay, so if I go to my first one, uh, so many light bulb moments in that first one. Um, I mean, for me, it was just, it was definitely a turning point in my life and, and for, my, for Sam as well. I think we just knew that you know that this was the right time and how we could see so many ways we could change things going forward. Like I say, with the leverage, the passive income, the strategies, the network, the community. So we, we saw everything in Progressive was going to be right for us. Um, why do I go back to so many multiple streams? I've met a lot of good friends through multiple streams. Um, I pretty much know all the speakers on stage, which are like yourself, we've spent time in Cayman. So I've become good friends of all those. It's just, it's just a good place to hang around. And every single multiple streams for me has been something different. Mm. So some of that could be reminders of what I first learned. Mm. So just little uh, jogging memories. But there's always something new that's happening. With the property industry changing, mm. you'll always come away thinking, that's great. And mm. I just see it. If I could sit there for three days and come away with one little thing to implement into my business, mm. that's been worth it. And, and again, might come away with a few connections. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Have, you, have you managed to, I mean, have you, I don't know if you've been even looking for money at multiple streams. Have you raised any finance at multiple yeah, streams? Yeah, we've had money come from uh, multiple streams. I mean, we've started to reach, I suppose we've reached a little bit out of that network because we're, we're now looking for, you know, big sums of money, hmm. um, which actually is, it's actually easier to raise big sums of money than smaller amounts. But, you know, the community is, it's a good place to get started and certainly to get most people financially free and into a, a good solid business. Mm. You know, I've seen many people that I've met at multiple streams um, mm. and become JV partners. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So definitely worth doing. And you've been to 25. Yeah, yeah I'm sure and, I should go back to you will keep one. going, presumably. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. Yeah, my kids have been to them as well. Yeah. So it's good for that. Fantastic. So you started after 2015, you joined the VIP, which is a 12-month mentoring program. Yeah, I started uh, April. And you went on the Robber Mark level. I did. Um, the reason for that was because, I mean, when I first came to Progressive, uh, I looked at the people that were on the stage. That's, that's what I thought, because these are the people obviously teaching the strategies and, mm. and have, have achieved the success. 
And the thing I soon was aware of that they'd all been going maybe four or five years. And I just thought, well, this is it. I just need to come here for four or five years. And as long as I copy what these are doing, hang around with these people, learn from them, then I should be somewhere like that in four or five years myself. Mm. That, that was just what I just said to myself. It was mm. as simple as that. That's the formula I had to follow and that's what I did. Mm. Well, it is simple, but it's also very smart because Tony Robbins talks about modeling and copying. He does, if you want yeah, yeah. To do, if you want to achieve what somebody else has achieved, mm. copy them. Yeah. And that's yeah. exactly what you were setting yourself up to do. Yeah. But of course, before you joined VIP, you went to Cayman, didn't you? Which is did, where yeah, we so first met. I did things back to front. Okay. Um, I mean, most people would uh, learn the strategies, then do the VIP, and then and then have, head off to Cayman maybe in a couple of years' time. But I think you know when we sat there on that very first multiple streams, um, the the Cayman came up on the screen, and my wife said to me, "Oh, you know what's Cayman?" And I said, "Well, that's for your very top." you know, property investors, people that have been going for quite a while, want to build a big business. And she said, well, you know, why are you not going on that? And I said, well, that's not me. She goes, but you could do that. And I said, yeah, but it's not me. She goes, if that's going to get you off the tools, um, then you're going to Cayman. And I said, well, look, it's a lot of money. I'm not going to pay that sort of money. And she goes, how much is that? I said, I don't know. She goes, well, how can you say it's a lot of money? And I think the way Sam saw it was, if the only thing she could achieve was to get me off those tools, where I wasn't going to be falling asleep at the wheel and coming home covered in dust, um, then for her, that money was well spent. Mm. So yeah, and so Sam went up and signed me up and um, <laughs> that was it really, the rest, the rest was history. So yeah, we went to Cayman in the February before we started VIP, but yeah. it was great. I mean, I wouldn't have said it was too early, but it probably was too early because I hadn't really got my strategies sorted out or, or a clear business plan, but that's mm. the whole point of going to Cayman is that you, mm. you leave with some kind of, um, you know, you know where you're going over the next 12 months and, and longer. Yeah, absolutely. And for anybody who's listening who's not quite sure what we're referring to when we talk about Cayman, it's the Cayman retreat, which Progressive run, where you sit down with Rob and Mark and the other attendees for a week, and everybody goes through their business plan and they can get one-on-one -on -one input from Rob and Mark as to how to grow their business. And basically, it's a brilliant thing to do if you want to grow your business, yeah. because you, your business becomes the focus for however many hours or a day, or depending on how, how it's structured at the exactly. time. Exactly, yeah. So, yeah, so you came back from Cayman, you joined VIP, went straight to the rubber mark levels, because you're obviously deciding to go places, which is great, and you started doing what? Because you'd already been building houses and selling houses. What did you do when you went on to VIP? Well, the first thing really was to... Well, because I wanted to get rid of my business. I remember I just thought, actually, I don't want to do it anymore, I just want to do property. Um, but I was given some advice to actually keep that going. You know, because I'd, it'd been going for years and it was, um, you know, I didn't understand the whole point of systemizing something and leveraging, like I said. So, you know, I sat down and we talked about that. And then before I know it, I could get more people in. I got a PA, um, I got a bricklayer to replace me. And before I knew it, I was earning the same money, but without working. And, and for me, that was quite remarkable that, you know, I could just uh, what probably work maybe 10, 15 hours a week mm. compared to the 100 and earn the same sort of money. Mm. And then I realised that I, actually, I could actually spend a little bit more time on this and do a couple at once, and then I could probably earn double the money in, in a fraction of the time. So that's what I started concentrating on first. Um, we then went out and bought a few houses as well. Did some houses up, um, like I said, bought HMO, convert the garage. So we, we got enough property to really, you know, not probably not replace all the income, but most of it, enough to sort of live on and say, well, that's my bills covered. Mm. Um, I don't really need to worry about if I don't get any more garages or if I don't get any more work, mm. you know, it's not the end of the world now. So mm. that was the first step, really. So that was a mix of buy-to-lets and HMOs? Yeah. Around yeah. Peterborough? 
Um, a few in Peterborough, a few in Spalding, and then we've got some over in Boston now, so which yeah. is very different demographics as you move out, mm. even though there's only sort of 25 miles between the Peter and Boston, it's just different demographics completely. You know, Peter was more professional. Um, over in Spalding and Boston, you start going into more migrants, mm. uh, field workers, mm. but very different in their own areas, you know, very different in their own ways, but mm. good market in each in each mm. area. So. And use, doing the usual thing, following the sort of BRR model? Yeah, yeah, refinance, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's um, anybody doing that, I will say, it probably does take a little bit longer than what you think, which I think that's the... That's the same in anything in property, isn't it? Everything takes longer than what you think. Um, but you know, you've just got to keep going. And uh, you know, when you've got plenty of stuff going on, it just happens in the background anyway. And we we sold a house Friday, didn't we? Thursday we completed on a house where we uh, split the plot, built two houses in the back garden. So, but that one should have been a straightforward sale, but we had to take the neighbour to court because um, he was claiming a boundary dispute, but it was on his deeds that was wrong. But that threw a spanner in the works for the, well, I don't know, six, seven months, I, I suppose, yeah. Mm. So, you know, when you think you've got all these things that are going to go to plan, there's always something that will uh, will slow it down. And I, I guess that's why you need several things to be focusing on at once and not all your eggs in one basket. Mm. So one of your other eggs, because of your background, I'm guessing, is development, which you did continue, not necessarily doing it for other people, but doing it for yourself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I did come here specifically to become a developer. But I knew that I had to, you know, do some of the uh, the buy-to-lets and the HMOs first to get the cash flow. Hmm. Um, but it was more about learning about business as well. You know, for me, I'd always been a one-man band, hmm. doing everything myself. And then coming here, I could see that, you know, to truly earn better money and do the thing you really, really want to do, you've got to build a business. Hmm. Um, so that was one thing that I really, I didn't expect to come here learning that, but I knew that that's what I had to do. Well, I remember sitting at that kitchen table in Cayman while we were having your session. And I could see the agony on your face at the thought of actually <laughs> handing your business off to other people. Yeah. But you obviously managed to resolve that and you've yeah. come to terms with it. Yeah, I did. I, mean, I, th I think it's because, I think once you start outsourcing uh, certain things in your business, you have no intention of taking them back and then they don't become personal. It just becomes a transaction or a, you know, a joint venture or yeah, just a part of business and I think you just, takes a personality away from it. It's just a transaction between you and a customer and a, a contractor or something like that. And um, it was quite easy to, to give out in the end. And like I said, for me, it's about never going back. Hmm. Um, so that business still runs, but it's it's quite low key. You know, it's, I'm not there to really build that business. It's not what I'm passionate about, hmm. um, but, it's, but it still ticks over and still, you know, still, it's pretty much hands off for me. Hmm. So at the same time, you're building the portfolio, you've got the buy to lets, you've got the HMOs, and then you move into development. Yep. So tell me how that happened. Uh, I think when I looked at the big stuff, um, I realised that you probably wasn't going to do it on your own because it was, you know, when you come down to do developing, there's quite a wide range of skill sets. You know, you have got the construction, you have got the, the financial side of it, um, and it was about partnering up. So, you know, we've got one at the moment for 30, an office to 34 apartments in, in Essex. Mm. Um, we're just putting in planning for five new builds on there. So that's a joint venture. Um, and that's just a collaboration between different skill sets. You know, I've got the construction background. These other people have got the financial background. Interesting. Um, so who actually found the project? You or them? Uh, they found the project. And yeah. then they came to you and you said you'd build it? Yeah, it came to me. Um, the way they could see that my skills were there is, is um, basically the contractors couldn't pull the wool over their eyes because they'd never done this sort of stuff on this scale. And for me, it was about saving them money. 
they didn't understand about saving the VAT on the purchase. Mm. So all of a sudden, I'd saved them nearly 300 grand on the purchase price. Mm. Um, capital allowances, they didn't know about that. So again, that was, that was quite substantial money. Uh, what else was there? There was, there was some other stuff there where I pretty much I'd saved um, 750 grand within, right. within one meeting. And how did you know to save that money? Where did you Because um, I'd been on Glendale's course, yeah, on commercial conversions and yeah, obviously I'm mentored by Mark. So, you know, I had the opportunity to run those deals through him as well uh, in a mentoring session. Yeah, gosh, so you'd saved your JV partner 750 grand. Yeah. Right, you're a We're, JV partner worth having, aren't you? Yeah, and um, you know, I suppose from that conversation onwards, he'd already then started talking about other deals beyond that as well. He said, well, once this one's up and running, which we're very close to getting the, the contractors on board now, um, we'll pretty much start looking for a second deal as well. So. Right. And have you got other projects? Yeah, we've done, got, um, so modular is my main focus, modular construction. Um, as much as I've been building houses traditional for years, the industry's got to change. Uh, and, you know, to be able to build a house on site now in one day with modular construction for well, me I was going to say, you know. let, let's talk about modular construction because this is very exciting. What, let's start at a very basic level. What is modular construction and how so, did you get into it? Well, how did I get into it? Okay, well, I met my business partner, uh, Pete Craig, in, in September last year and it was purely through Facebook. Um, I wasn't even on social media before I came to Progressive. Hmm. Um, so pretty much from that first multiple streams, I got myself on Facebook. Um, I thought it was for people with too much time on their hands, to be honest, mm. and just shared what they had for dinner. Um, but it's been a very powerful tool for me, Facebook has. So the connection was Peterborough, and that was it. Um, so we met, and on the very first conversation, we got talking about developing. Uh, he's a business consultant on construction. So again, it's that, that joint venture of opposite skill sets. Uh, and it's really strange because I, somehow in the conversation, I got telling him how I'd always dreamed of owning a modular factory. Uh, where materials come in one end, turn into a house, and then they get shipped out the other end on lorries. Uh, and really from that conversation, we talked about owning our own factory. Uh, and then we kept meeting for every sort of weekend for the next three or four weeks. Realised that we'd, we were very similar. Um, had, certainly had the same vision and values. Uh, again, that's something I've, I've really learnt from Progressive with Dr. John Demartini as well. And, and we just clicked. And... Um, we just said, yeah, we're going to set up a business and it's going to be modular focused. And we formed a partnership with a factory, which has been great. I mean, we just thought, well, actually, rather than going building our own first factory, let's partner up with somebody who's already doing it. Mm. Uh, and we met these guys who were just at the start of their journey. And again, we had meetings, talked to them, realised we're on the same page. And now we're doing, um, we've got our first development going ahead with those guys. We've just come from the factory just now. Um, just been finalising some of the design features before that goes into production. Uh, I think he said 13th of... August. So that first house is going to be built 13th of August, yeah. Wow. So again, for anybody who's listening to this who's thinking, this sounds exciting, but I'm not quite sure what it's all about. The factory, literally build the house in the factory, mm -hmm. and then you just take it off on a lorry or bits. Yeah. Bits There's two types of modular. One is panels, so where you can build the big panels and then you take it to site and build all the panels and then still fit it out, a bit like a traditional build. Mm. But the ones that we're concentrating is volumetric. So volumetric is 96% built off site. So that means all the kitchens are in, they're plastered, the carpets are in. It's literally like the house is built in the factory and it's built in maybe four different modules and then those four modules come out on a lorry with a crane and they can be put on site in a day. So within 24 hours, from the foundations, you can pretty much be turning the key and living in that house. That's amazing, isn't it? So it's plastered. Yes. And it's got carpets. Decorated. And it doesn't yeah. get messed up. Nope. So for me, I mean, I've been through, because I've been through every single trade, I understand that if the plumber don't turn up, that affects what the electrician's going to do. 
that affects what the carpenter's going to do, that affects what the plaster's going to do. So it's a knock-on effect if one trade doesn't turn up on time. Uh, also, if your materials don't turn up on time. I mean, for me, when I was on site, the scaffolders would always be late. And if they come, they'd never have enough gear, so they'd sort of put up half a scaffold, which means we couldn't carry on. So it's just so many things on site that cause you delays. You could earn good money one day, but then the next day you're sitting in the van waiting for the scaffolders to turn up, mm. or the weather. Mm. That was the other thing. So for me, when we, when we got looking into module even more, you know, the fact that you can build a house in a factory in a day and actually install it on site in a day, mm. for me was just, this is it. Mm. This, is, this is what we're gonna focus on, this is what we're gonna become known for, um, because this is just a game changer in the construction industry. Totally. And before we started recording this podcast, we were having a bit of a laugh because you were kindly asking me about my, my plot, I was, which yeah. I want to build four houses on. Mm -hmm. And after a year, we're still arguing with the planners about four houses, despite the fact the government say that it's all the developer's fault. <laughs> yeah. There we go. But that would be the perfect solution yeah. for me, because having wasted a year, if I could go to the factory and buy four houses and they could just drop them off on the back of a lorry, Job done. Is it's, it as simple as that? It is as simple as that. Yeah, I mean, it's the, it's the speed. Um, so pretty much we can put the foundations in within two or three days because they're not, you've not got these big dig foundations like you have mm. with a traditional house. The utilities are already in on site when you get there. Mm. So by the time the house comes in, it, it, the, house is, uh, the modules are put on site. They're already commissioned in the factory. So you know when that water's turned on, you're not going to get a leak in the shower. Or, you know, I've seen it many times where they, they commission a house and then about a day later there's a big wet patch in the ceiling where mm. one of the pipes has got nicked mm. by the electrician or the carpenter putting the floors down or something like this. So mm. it's all took away. Um, so when you get the house on site, it, it's pretty much finished. And then a couple of guys come in on a day on site, finish it off. But yeah, within a week, you can pretty much put the foundations in and, and install a house ready to turn the key. Mm. So in terms of the, the sort of legal requirements for this, presumably the planning, it doesn't really matter what you put there as long as it looks like it does in the plan. Yep. The building regs, they understand this kind of stuff, so the local yep. building control officer just comes as a look. Well, building control love it because uh, they can come to the factory, have a cup of tea, it's nice and warm, but they just do an annual inspection, so the factory can see, so the, um, the, the building regs can see that the materials are stored in a certain way, um, so you haven't got all these materials out on site like you do where all the polythene blows off and you know the forklift runs into and stuff like that, or stuff getting pinched. It's all quality controlled, but the thing I like about it is it's precision. Um, on site, you know, we'd very often build walls and then the carpenters would come in and they'd be trying to get the door line in to line up with the walls and nobody really thinks about the next trade. Mm. But in the modular construction phase, you know, every single stage is passed off. Mm. So that person's responsible. Um, plus it's all done in a, in a controlled environment. So, you know, you like I say, you haven't got the wind and the rain. There is no material shortage. There isn't stuff getting pinched off site. Um, it, and it's just one guy just doing the same thing all day long. That guy will just go and do plasterboarding all day long, but he will become really good at plasterboarding. Whereas you get a lot of people who are sort of multi-trade. Mm. Um, I mean, there's probably a lot of people out there now who are claiming to be bricklayers, who have probably built a barbecue in their back garden, mm. but because bricklayers can earn sort of £300 a day, they're all of a sudden they've gone on site saying, I'm a bricklayer. Mm. Um, and I've seen some shocking pictures lately of uh, the big houses doing their brickwork because just anybody's throwing bricks up because that's all they can get. Mm. Whereas in the factory, it's, it's just quality controlled. It is, you know, I've been really impressed with what I've seen in there so far. And how does this compare to the cost of a traditional building? It's not really much cheaper at the moment. Um, the biggest saving is going to be your borrowing, you know, because an 18-month development with traditional can now be done in probably six months mm. um, with modular. I mean, we're going to do, we've got a site with three houses. So that'll be a six-month development. That includes the planning. Mm. 
Uh, we've got one with 30 houses, that'll probably still take six months. Hmm. So it's not going to take any longer because we'll be putting up to about 10 houses a week on site once the foundations are in. Hmm. Um, so, you know, it'd normally take about 12 weeks to build one house. Hmm. We're now doing them in 24 hours. Hmm. And that's why we can bring in 10 houses built off site. All the lorries will come in and the crane and it'll just be plop, 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 plop. And then those, those 10 houses will be ready to move in within a week's time. Hmm. Well, that's very impressive. So going forward, what do you see your role as being now then? You're out looking for plots. You're the site finder. Uh, I'm not the site finder. We've got a guy, um, who, Lee, who works for us doing that. So he's, um, he's in charge of acquisitions. Um, I mean, we've all got relationships with agents from, from what we've been doing with our portfolio. Uh, and I suppose we get sites brought to us all the time. The idea with Modular is that you've got to get in there early. The idea mm. is, is that you use the pre-designs mm. to, fit, to fit the land and then you go there with the planning rather than buying something with planning and saying, well, can you build this out of modular? Um, so the earlier you get in with the design stage and use pre-designs, that, that's the better thing with modular. It, it's just, with the pre-designs, you know they're a fixed cost as well. You know, you don't have to go out and start looking for builders to tender on this sort of stuff. It will be a fixed price coming from the factory on, a, on a, a, an exact delivery date. Hmm. So like for you, you know, if you sat in the Caymans, you could, you could go away for a week, come back and you've got four houses already built ready to move into whereas if you it's a traditional build you go away for a week and you might come back and one house is up to first lift of scaffold and then the second house might just be started on for brick lane as well mm. so you can see the difference in in such a short time frame mm. uh, we're, what we're finding is investors love it they really like the speed of it because for them it means they get the money back in a third of the time or, or you know half of the time at the very most so they can potentially do two developments with the same amount of money and get double the reward mm. Well, I can certainly see the benefits. The thing which I suppose I'm wondering is, will the factory keep up with you? Okay, so the factory can build around about 300 to 400 houses a year. Hmm. Um, we've already talked about building a second factory together. Uh, we've been offered, or we're in the process of being offered uh, a factory as well with a local council. Oh. So the council are really on board with us. They can, for us, it's about job creation as well. Hmm. For me, I, I express my, um, you know, to get apprentices. I think it's great to get apprentices. There's definitely a lack of people wanting to come into the in, uh, construction industry. So they could, they could see all this. They could see all the benefits of, of you know, supporting us by building a factory. Um, so yeah, hopefully next year we'll probably be in the process of building our own factory. We're, we're in talks of doing our own designs as well. Brilliant. So lots Brilliant. going on. Brilliant. So anybody who's listening to this who's thinking, that sounds like a fantastic strategy. I'm going to go and find a plot of land and then I'm going to give Andy a ring and see if I can have a house which you can drop off on a, on a lorry. <laughs> Is it as simple as that? It's as simple as that. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're here, we're here to help people every step of the way. Mm. Um, you know, we have got access to, to funding as well. We've got a partnership with the factory, so that gives us an advantage. Um, but yeah, we've got designs that are already done. So you know, rather than having to go back to an architect every single time and pay those architect fees, these are already done. You've only got to pay an architect to do the layout and the scale. Mm. We've already got those designs and, and fixed costs. Mm. So that takes away a lot of the, because um, you know, the build cost is probably one of the biggest things that people struggle with when looking for developments, whether it's one house or 10 houses that, you know, how do you appraise a site? Well, if you've got that fixed cost coming out the ground, which is the variable, I know they say it's in the ground, but to me it's, it's still above ground because you don't know whether that them trade's gonna take longer, whether it, there's gonna be a lot of snagging to do. Uh, I think snagging is the biggest thing on site. Mm. Um, with the factory, it's all took away mm. because the, the snagging's done in the factory and by the time they come out on site, it's, it's just turnkey. Mm. I think once you've done modular, you'll never go back. Mm. That, that's the way we see it as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds very, very impressive. 
So we'll certainly be sort of keeping an eye on that. Maybe yep. get you back in a, in a year or two and tell us how you're getting on. Yeah, yeah, we're really excited because I think for us, because it's, it's growing at a fast rate, there are new factories popping up. Every single factory seems to do things differently, which is quite good. There is no sort of one way of doing modular at the moment, um, but it, it's an innovative uh, product. And it, it's, just, yeah, it's exciting for us to get involved at an early, you know, an early stage. And mm. you know, we've, we've got the funding, people got a lot of questions about the funding. So we've got all the answers to that. Is it mortgageable? Yes, it is. We've, we've been in touch with all the lenders. So all the questions that people have been asking about the education side of it, mm. we've been out and done all the groundwork um, to get those answers before we move forward as well. Mm. So talking of education, you've managed to free up a lot of your time, although it sounds like you're doing a lot anyway, but you have got time. And you mentor, don't you? I do, yeah. Yeah, I mentor people one-to-one. Um, -one. We run our own training programmes. Um, I think, you know, for me, I've been through the education process and I realise how valuable it is. Uh, and this is a new niche. Uh, and again, we decided that, you know, if we can do the education, then more people can go and do this. And I think for me, this is the simplest way anybody can become a developer mm. because they, they only really need a ground worker and the factory. Mm. There's only two people that you need to do a contract with. Whereas before it come down to your experience, you know, what sort of experience have you got in the constru construction industry? You really don't need that anymore with modular. Mm. It is just a case of find the land, borrow the money, get a groundwork and get the factory. It's, mm. it's, it's just a four or five step process. Mm. Um, and it's just all took away from you because the factory manage all the trades and materials. You know, you're just buying an end product um, for a fixed price mm. delivered on site mm. when they say they're going to. So if somebody wanted to come to you for mentoring, yep. are you mentoring them specifically in this or, or development generally or property Well, commercial generally? conversions as well, but yeah. mostly development. Yeah, and um, like I said, my, my business partner is a, is a business consultant. Mm. So we emphasise on helping people build a proper business out of it as well, not just focusing on one deal or one property development. Now, obviously, your first development is the important one. But, you know, we sit down, we help people with the branding, the vision, you know, where do they want to be in one, three, five years? What do they want to do on a day-to-day -day basis? For me, I love just pulling up on site, you know, and getting involved and seeing the building work going on because that's, mm. that's what I've always done. You know, I don't really want to be stuck in, a, uh, in an office behind a desk on spreadsheets all day long. Mm. So having that clear understanding of where you want to be on a day-to-day -day basis is really important on, on building your business. Mm. So if anybody wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way to get in touch with you, Andy? Uh, I'm on Facebook under Andrew Hubbard, not Andy Hubbard. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn as well. Um, but yeah, best email is andy at bishopsgatedevelopments.co.uk. And I get back to everybody, whoever emails me or messages me. Um, yeah, I'm happy to answer any questions. Fantastic. And you say you run trainings? Yeah, we run a mastermind um, every single month in Peterborough. That's, um, that's development focused. So we're, we're really keen to get some people... Uh, building with modular we took them all around the modular factory last month mm. uh, and for the few that didn't really understand modular too much they just came out there with such a clear picture and um, we always take everyone to the factory and then yeah and come september we'll be doing um, a three-day training program to teach everyone to become a developer from sourcing the land going through the planning the building rigs the factory the designs the refinancing the mortgageability that side of things so people will be able to leave their you know being able to become a developer in the, in the most simplest way I see going forward. Mm. Well, that is really, really exciting. I'm excited about that. I can see the possibilities for that. And I'm sure that's going to change the way that we do development yes, in the future in this will. country. And there's a crying need for it, isn't there? Yeah. So we're told, if we can get the planners on board. Well, I mean, but, you know, you talked about the capacity of the factory. That is one limiting factor with modular. Um, but more and more factories are coming up all the time. So, you know, which we want to be a part of as well. Um, but it's, it's not going to replace traditional fully. 
it's, at the minute it's a part and I think eventually it will just take over purely because you're getting a better product delivered in a fraction of the time. Mm. You just can't compete. A traditional build will, won't come down in cost either mm. because of labour shortage. Mm. I think I came off site, uh, I was about 31 I think when I came off site. Youngest person I've ever seen on site was myself. Mm. You know, And the oldest person was probably around about 50, 55 and most of them people tend to retire around about that because they're physically worn out. Mm. I guess that's where I was heading rapidly. Mm. Um, but yeah, once you get to 55 years old, your body's pretty much gone and then you have to go and find a job. So there's only sort of quite a short span of people on site really, I think. Mm. Mm. Um, but you know, those people are earning good money at the moment, so they'll probably retire a lot quicker than what, what they intended. Mm. Uh, the next recession will wean a lot of those people out. Mm. It really does, mm. um, but yeah. Exciting times for us, I think. Very exciting. And you're still with Robert Mark on VIP? Still with Robert Mark, yeah. I've been to Cayman twice now. Mm. Um, I've just come back from Dubai because uh, this year it was in Dubai, not Cayman. Mm. So, yeah, I've been on three retreats now. All very different. Um, I think it's good to have that annual check-in. Uh, for, for myself personally, I sort of treat the first day of the month as a, as a, a bit of a check-in for myself and see how the last month went and how the month forward is going to go for me. But, yeah, I mean, things accelerate quite quick in property. Um, and to have that annual check-in on where you are, you know, is what you're doing right, for me has been really, really good. Mm. Um, and yeah, for, for anybody who's thinking of doing something like that, I'd, mm. I'd fully recommend it. I mean, you've been yourself, so, yeah. you know, sometimes it's just having that professional opinion saying, you know, am I doing the right thing? Yeah. Well, yes, you are. It, no, because if you look fast forward, this is where it'll end up. So, you know, you only see what you see within your own sort of capabilities, I guess. Yeah. And if you're not quite ready for Cayman, then VIP. And of course, VIPs work for you because you VIP's were actually, been great, yeah. You were VIP of the year in 2017. I was. Yeah, VIP of the year award last year, which um, I wasn't expecting that, actually. I sat in the audience and uh, I was sort of looking around as if to say, oh, you know, who's going to get up? And then all of a sudden it was me. So I was, qu I was quite surprised, um, felt quite honoured. Uh, for me, you know, VIP's been really great. I've met some really good friends through VIP, um, lifelong friends. You know, and, and friends, I'll always be able to pick up the phone and, you know, whenever I'm in London, I meet up with people for coffees and, um, yeah, just for me, it's just been a big game changer for me. Like I said, I wasn't on social media before I came to Progressive. Mm. Mm. Um, Facebook's been great for me. Mm. Sometimes that's downsides. You get the odd troll on there trying to, uh, <laughs> mm. trying to stir a few things up for you, but that's social media, you know, as your success grows. Rob said you'll always get a few people out there trying to, mm. trying to you know. But on the plus things. side, you've been featured in YPN magazine. Featured in YPN yeah. magazine, yeah, we're yeah. in talks with those at the minute on a few things as well, so we could be in there on a, on a regular basis rather than just a one-off. So that, you know, I met with Ant a few weeks ago, loves the modular stuff, can see all the benefits as well, so, mm. so that's something we're working on with those at the moment. Yeah. Um, Brilliant. Well, Andy, it's been really exciting talking to you about this today, and yeah, this is one for the future, isn't it? I mean, it's one for now and it's one for the future. It can only keep growing, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. so. Brilliant. So if anybody wants to get in touch with Andy, just give remind us of the email again. Andy at bishopsgatedevelopments.co.uk or, or I'm on Facebook or, or Under LinkedIn. Andrew. Yeah, Under Andrew Hubbard. As yeah. Andrew Hubbard, not Andy. Yeah. 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 So there you are. I'm sure you found that as interesting as I did. Loads of really good ideas there on what we can do with property and the way that property is going. Hope you've enjoyed this podcast. If you have, then please go to wherever you get your podcasts from and leave a review. That'd be really good. Could do with a few more reviews. So if you get a bit of spare time, please go and do that. Otherwise, until the next podcast, here's to successful property investing. <laughs>